0: We are learning Dap Yod We're starting from the first line, the end of the line where the Gemara says, Velisni. And the context of what we're talking about again is Pesha Asar Pesha Hitir. And the case that Rabbi Yeshua mentioned in the Mishnah was where uh, Shimon is living on a piece of land. He goes over to Reuben. He says, This piece of land that I'm living on used to belong to your father, but I bought it off of him. So we say, Since we only know from Shimon that the, the land used to belong to Reuben's fathers, and then we also believe the second half of the statement that uh, Shimon bought it off of Reuben's father. Because we can't take one half of the statement without the other. who And the Gemara was noticing it's an interesting case that he's speaking. Shimon goes over to Reuven and he says, This field that I'm on used to belong to your father and I bought it off of him. So the Gemara wants to know... Couldn't, can't there be other ways to illustrate the principle of Pesha Asar or Pesha Hitter with monetary things without discussing necessarily a field? So the Gemara says, Well, listen, the Tana could have chosen to talk. Let's say someone said to his friend, I borrowed a mana, I borrowed a hundred ziz from you, but then I repaid you. So he goes over to his friend out of the blue, Shimon goes over to Ruven and he says, Hey, I once borrowed a hundred dollars from you, but I repaid you. So then he is believed. Why is he believed? Once we know that he borrowed the money, then why is he believed to say that he repaid it? The answer is because a who a hit The idea is since we only know from Shimon that he borrowed the money, so then we also have to believe Shimon's second half of the statement that he repaid the money. So why that could have been a good case? Why do we have to go to a case where he went over Shimon went over to Reuven? And he said that the field that Amman used to belong to your father, but I bought it off of him. Why can't we have a more direct case of Shimon going over to Reuben and saying, I borrowed $100 from you, but I repaid it, in which case he's believed because of the new Ammanus of Peshaw Asar. So the Gemara says, Because what would I do with the Sefa? Again, what is the Sefa saying? The Sefa says, let's say, uh, we don't only know from Shimon that the field used to belong to Reuben's father. Let's say there are witnesses that the field used to belong to Reuben's father. Then there's no Pasha Asar and Shimon is not believed. So if there would be the way that we're saying it by the borrowing a hundred dollars, what would the parallel have been? For the safer then would have went, gone on to say, love him if there are witnesses that he borrowed it from him. Let's say there are witnesses that he borrowed it. But who am my and the borrower says, But I repaid him. he wouldn't be believed. Why would that be? Because again it would be he would be missing his Pasha asar. Because since there are witnesses that the money was borrowed, so then you don't have the Pasha asar. he wouldn't be believed to say that he repaid. Says the Gemara, but is that really true? That's not actually true if it would be a case of borrowing money, if there are witnesses that say that somebody borrowed money. And the defendant says, you're right, I borrowed money, but I paid it back. So is it true that without a special officer, you're not believed to say you paid it back? A we have established. Somebody lends his, his friend money in the presence of witnesses, meaning there's no document that we're talking about. There's no loan document. If there's a loan document, then you always have to repay and uh, you're not neman against the loan document to say, oh, I paid back already. Because why is the guy holding the document still? So whenever a person comes with a, doc creditor comes with a document, a person is not believed to say that he paid back. Well, let's say there's no document. It's just, the person who lent the money, Reuben lent Shimon money, he was careful to do it in the presence of witnesses. In, in, in that doesn't mean when Shimon goes to pay back the money, he has to pay back specifically in the presence of witnesses. He can, and he's believed to say that he paid it back. You don't have a star and you don't know... You haven't proven to the court that i didn't pay you back so i'm never meant to say that i paid you back so again if there's a star so you don't say I'm a you say that the star is itself the greatest proof and the person is not believed to say that he didn't pay back but if there there's no star to just the fact that ruven lent it with witnesses so then uh shimon, shimon 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 is is believed to say that he paid back so if we're ta- if we would be we would be referring to such a case where ruven would go over to shimon and say i borrowed money from you but I paid you back, he would be believed, then it, even if there were witnesses that says that Reuven lent Shimon money, Shimon would still be believed to say that he had repaid it. So therefore the Mishnah can't discuss such a case because it wouldn't be a true manifestation of the Chiddush of Pesha Asar because even without the Pesha Asar, even if there were witnesses who testified to the effect that uh, Reuven lent Shimon money, Shimon would still be believed to say that he paid back. So that's why we didn't discuss that case. It says the Gemara, listening, the Times should have taught a case. Someone said to his friend, I uh, I owed your father a mana, meaning your father gave me a mana, so a manna of your father was in my possession. I paid him back half of it. Shehu neman, he would be naman. he would be believed, and he wouldn't have to take a shul. he wouldn't have to take an oath. So a little bit of introduction to understand this difficult sugya here. There's a sugya called moda b'miksa satayna yishava. This is taken from the beginning of the Mesachas Baba Mitzia, where the gemar expounds the psikkim and parshish Meshpatim ha'sha yomar That if a person claims that so-and-so owes him an amount of money, he owes me $100, and the defendant says, I I, I admit that I once that I borrowed $100, but I claim that I paid back $50. So $50 I admit that I still owe you, but the other 50 I do not owe you. What does the Torah say? The kamar expounds that it means that you have to swear. You have to swear. Once you admit to half of the claim, you have to swear on the other half. Now, there's other persons, no witnesses or anything. It's just simply in the exchange, the toin venetan between the creditor and the defendant. But once the defendant uh, admits to half, so then he has to pay back the other half. Then he has to swear on the other half. a so what would happen if, let's say over here, so a person volunteered the information, he goes over to his friend and he said, I, your father had a, uh, your father's mana was given to me. Your father lent me a mana, but I paid him back half. So what would the law be? So you ostensibly would say, oh, it's satani But the idea would be, pasa asar hit Here Reuven didn't make the claim to Shimon that you, owe, that you owed my father the money. Shimon volunteered the information to Ruven that he had borrowed the money. So now that he comes from his own volition, he has Pesha Asar, he comes himself. He didn't have to admit anything. He comes himself. So hua pesha So therefore, when he says, I paid back half, he should automatically be believed about that. And he shouldn't be required to make a shvuah So we, why don't we, we illustrate the, the the concept of Pesha Asar here to exonerate Shimon for making a shvuah where he goes over to Reuben and says, I owed your father a money, but I paid him back half. He should be neman without having to take an oath. That should have been the manifestation of Pesha Asar. Why do we have to front to this case where he's squatting on the field and he says, this used to be your father's field, but I bought it off of him. Why don't we have the case where he says, we're about money. Your father lent me a mana, but I claim I paid back half. And we would say that since it's a pasha pashah, therefore, he wouldn't be to make a shvua on the other half. So the Gemara explains, well, the Gemara is responding why we didn't say this. The Gemara says, who would you be holding like? Actually, we're going to see a big machlokas about this between the Rabbonah and Abelaz Banyakov, Ben Yaakov. And therefore, no matter what you're saying, it wouldn't work out. Aliba the Rabana, if you go like the Vedahave, the say that someone who admits um, to somebody else's father, and as the Rabbanan say, whenever somebody is not talking about whether or not he owes he owes personally someone, but whether he owes their father, he's always considered he's always considered like someone who's returning a lost object. And he, and he's part of Meshwa um, even, if, even, even, even if there was a claim against him. Now, just to understand a little bit what's going on, what is this concept of Meshava Veda? So Meshava Veda is a din that when a person is, is returning a lost object, so he's coming to do like an act of good. He's doing a, an act of Nikaram that he's saying the truth. So let's say that the person, you know, you come to return the lost object and the person makes a claim. He says, wait a second, I had more stuff. So, you know, you returned, you found my wallet and there was, uh, and he returns it with $50. And suddenly the guy says, thank you very much for, for returning my wallet and thank you for the $50. But there was actually $100 in there and I'm, I'm dining that you're hiding the other uh, $50. So what's the law? Is that a motive that makes us a tiny or not? So, what is the halacha? So, we say that it's not. He doesn't have to swear because since he's returning a lost object, in other words, you're coming as an act of doing good, you were not compelled at all. So, then you don't have to make a shvuah. You don't have to make a shvuah. It's only when do we say modem satani It's not in the case of me shavave. That's in a regular case. Ruben says to Shimon, you know, you owe me money. And Shimon says, I admit I owe you half, but the other half I claim I paid back. That's where modem But bonu, it's, it, uh, it's from an angle of someone returning a lost object, then you're parted from shvuah. So, the Rabbanon say, that whenever you're in a discussion with a son about money owed to a father, that's always like Meshav And we'll see the depth of that coming up in the Ahmed Beis. But based upon the concept, it's always like Meshav Aveda, The idea is whenever you're not speaking about some money that you owe personally to somebody, but money that you owe to their father, so then that's always considered like a Meshav Aveda like an act of goodwill to admit anything. And you never have to make a aishva whatsoever. So how would the Mishnah... Um, how would the mission have said that Rabbi Yeshua agrees specifically in a case where there was a it Pasha Asar or Pasha Eter? It wouldn't make sense. According to the Rabbanon, even if the person made a claim, even if the son came over and made a claim, so it's not Pasha Asar or Pasha Eter, he says, you owe my father the money. And the guy admitted, he says, I owe you half, but the, I owe your father half, but the other half I claim I repaid. So according to the Rabbanon, you wouldn't have to make a shivua because it's Mesheva Avedah. You're not speaking to the person himself. You're speaking about the dead owed to the father. And again, we'll explain a little bit why when it's to the son as opposed to the father, we say it's Mesheva Avedah. But either way, therefore, wouldn't it wouldn't be a good illustration of Peshavsar or Peshavsar according to the Rabbanon because according to the Rabbanon, um, even without the Peshavsar, it's treated like someone who's returning a lost object when we never say that just because you admit to half, you have to pay. So the Mishnah cannot have been illustrating Peshavsar in the Rabbanon's opinion. Eliya about ben Yaakov. And if you say we're going like Rabbulazar ben Yaakov, Rabbulazar ben Yaakov holds that when you're speaking about a son, you're speaking to a son about what you owe to the father. You do have to make a shvuah, according to Rabbulazar ben Yaakov. We don't necessarily say that it's treated like a Meshavah Veda. You see, it doesn't make a difference if you're speaking to the son or the father. But the question is, Rabbulazar ben Yaakov actually says that an oath is required, even where you're the one who is admitting it, even if it's not based upon a claim. Rabbulazar ben Yaakov, it seems, does not accept the fact. That we should say Pesha Asar should, should, should exempt him from shvua. So, if we're going to go like Rabbos Yaakov, once we unravel the whole analysis of his opinion, as we're going to in a minute, then we're going to see that it actually wouldn't be true that the Pesha Asar would exonerate the defendant from making a shvua. So, the Gemara is saying in the Rabbona that it's Meshavah Veda, then you don't need the Pesha Asar. And if you go like Rabbos Yaakov, then you don't treat it like a Meshavah Veda when you're dealing with the son, but it's not true that Pesha Asar would actually exempt you. You actually would have to make a shvua. So, whether you go like the Rabbona or Rabbos it's not a good explanation to say that our mission would be talking about a Case where someone went over to his friend and said, "I owed your father uh, mana and I paid back half." That the pasha asar would pattern from shua, like the rabbanon that is meishav even without the pasha asar, even if the person made a claim. So there's no, he's not coming out of the blue. There was a claim against him. Still, he wouldn't have to make a shua. And like Rabbi Lozerman Yaakov, you have to make a shua even when there is a pasha asar. So therefore, it's not a viable explanation. Now we get into this whole dispute. It says in a Rabblazman There are times when a person has to make a shvua, even if it's, even though he's re- as if he's responding to his own claim. Meaning, the point of Rabblazman Yaakov is saying, usually when do you make a shvua? when someone has a claim against you. But if you're if you're if you're making your own admission, then you don't make a uh, shvua. Says Rabblazman Yaakov, no, there are times when a person swears in response to his own claim. what is this case? somebody said to an orphan that a from your father was in my possession, but I repaid half of it. So I raise an ishba, You do have to swear that you repaid the half. This is the case where you have to swear to your own claim. No, since you're not speaking to the father himself, you're only speaking to the son. It's treated like someone who's returning a lost object and you're exempt from swearing. So what are we saying? Now we're going to start analyzing it, but this is what we've been referring to. According to the Rabbanon, whenever you're talking to a son about a debt that was owed to the father, you know, you're always treated like a mesheva aveda, an act of goodwill. Goodwill. There's no claim that the son really can have in you. He doesn't know anything, and therefore your response is always just treated like a mesheva aveda, just like someone returning a lost object when it's someone returning a lost object, and suddenly the guy says, hey, I had more money in the wallet. You don't have to swear. So to hear, you never have to swear to a son about your motive and mix. That's about what you owe to the father holds No, you do have to swear. You do have to swear to a son about what you owed to the father as well. So the Gemara says, well, wait a second here. What was the case? It sounds like we're saying that the person, the son, didn't make a claim, right? The language was that sometimes you swear in response to your own claim. So what would that mean? It means that you just go over and you admit it and you're returning, it's mamish like you're returning a lost object, and Reb ben still says, you don't have to swear. Yeah, you, you do have to swear. So the Gemara says, is that true? Reb ben Yaakov, Leslie, Meshav Avedah, Patr, he doesn't hold of that principle, that someone returning a lost object is exempted from swearing? That seems to be a clear to Mishnah to and Adin to to Mishnah and Gitin. that Meshav when you're returning lost property, you don't have to swear. If the owner is claiming that you didn't return all of the money, the returner is, is exempt, and the reason, partially, is, is that the rabbi didn't want to deter people from returning uh, you know, lost items. If every time you lost a lost item, somebody, the guy could claim, by the way, you didn't return all the money in the wallet, then that would deter somebody from ever returning it. So there's an, there's an idea that automatically, whenever you are returning something, you're coming from an act of goodwill. In other words, it's not that there's a strong claim against you that you have to respond to and you're admitting to have, but rather, you're coming from just a good place, you're returning a lost object, that then you don't have to swear when, when a motive and a mix situation agrees. So how could Rabbi Blasar not accept that? If there's no real claim being made Against him, and a person is just going over to somebody else and saying, I owe you the money, I I owed your father the money, but I repaid him half. There's no way that the Gemara assumes or Blazor Yaakov would hold that the person has to make a Shavuot. Certainly, the principle, the axiom of Meshav Aveda Pater is something that even Blazor Yaakov agrees to. So, you're right. Rabbi Lausman Yaakov is speaking to a case where there is a minor who is making a claim against him. In other words, this orphan, he actually is initiating a claim. He's coming along and saying, I know you owe my father money. So, the orphan is initiating a claim. So, it's not like a meshev aved. Rabbi Lausman Yaakov says, a I'm coming from an act of goodwill. You don't have to swear. Here, it's not like that. There was a claim against you by the orphan. So, since there was a claim against you by the orphan, so, therefore, you are, in fact, required to... To swear. And again, the situation is that the orphan is claiming he knows with certainty he is a Bari. So, since there's a, a, there's a Vada claim against you, it's not like a of Aveda. So, just because it's about to the son and not to the father, Rabbalah Zubayyako still holds, Rabbalah holds, it doesn't make a difference that it's to the son. You have to make a Shu'a. The Rabbanon, for some reason, we're saying that it's to the son, and therefore it's treated like a Meshav Aveda. And again, the analysis, the full analysis still has to emerge. So the Gemara says, wait a second, how can that be? There's halacha, that the claim that's made by a katan, you don't have to respond to. Pashib Shah, the Gemara thinks now, is that a katan doesn't have dots, So when a katan doesn't have dots, his claim is not treated like a claim. And if it's not considered like a bari claim, you don't have to respond to it. So you don't have to swear because of a claim of a minor. So even if the katan did say, you owed my father money, it's meaningless. And when the guy, therefore, is saying that I owed him, I admit I owed him half, but I claim I paid back the other half, it should still be like a meish The claim is irrelevant. So the Gemara explains first. Man katan, who is this minor that we're referring to? Godot, he's really an adult. The adult orphan made the claim. And therefore, it certainly is a valid claim. But the katan, why did Raab call him a minor? Because concerning his father's affairs, he's treated like a minor. Meaning, he's not fully aware of all of his father's business dealings. So therefore, he's treated like a kid. But Lamais, that's a valid claim. And when the, 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 the debtor is he's admitting to part of it, so therefore, it's considered modemimuksat satayinu. Rabbi Lazarus Renman Yaakov says that he has to swear. So, basically, we're coming out at this point that the case is that an adult son is making a claim against the debtor. He's saying, you owed my father the money. The guy is admitting to half of the claim. Rabbah and Yaakov is saying he has to swear because there's a valid claim against him. And the Rabbah are saying, no, he's treated like a mishra Veda because it was only a son. So says the Gemara, but that explanation is no good because ihachi. If the case is that the orphan is an adult. What, what was Reb Lazarus Yaakov said? He says there are times where a person has to swear in response to his own claim. It sounded like as if there was no claim against him and still he has to swear. What are you talking about? Tainus, atzmo, it's his own claim. Tainus, achim, it's a claim from other people. The orphan is making a strong claim against him and that's what's causing him to swear. So what in the world is going on? Why is this a situation where a person is swearing because of his own claim? It's not a situation like that at all. It's really a situation where somebody else is making a claim against him and he's responding. So the Gemara answers, you're right. Taina Sacherim, it is a claim from other people, but it's his own admission. The point is, it, it, it's your own admission. It's a consequence of your own claim in the sense that it was your partial admission that required you to make the Shavuot, says the Gemara. But that's always the case. Kulutan also, every case of Motivim Mixasa Taina, that's always like that. Taina it starts from a claim from somebody else, and then Hoda atmo, and then somebody else admits. Ninu, that's what it is. It's always like that. So Vladim Yaakov is saying, oh, I have an anomaly. There are times when a person swears in response to his own claim, this is the case. This is the normal textbook case where if you have the adult kid coming over making a claim and you're responding to what he is saying so that's not you swearing in response to your own claim that's you responding to the to the claim of the adult so therefore it cannot be that this is the situation that we're talking about because the law of Yaakov simply doesn't tolerate it the law is he's responding to his own claim clearly we're not talking about that there was an adult son who made a claim against him so now what's gonna happen This is a little bit Iker Chasrim and Atsefer, which is a big problem. I'm going to say the way that Rashi learns the Gemara, but it's really missing the language of the Gemara. So let's first say it over outside. The Gemara is going to go back to our original understanding that we're talking about that it was a minor. And if we're talking about that it was a minor, we can understand why it's because the claim of a minor is usually not so strong. Now, the Gemara before slugged up that we're talking about a minor. We can't be talking about it because the claim is not a claim at all. And the Gemara said you would never have to make a shvua from the, from the claim of a minor. Now the Gemara is being closer. It's not true. If a minor makes a claim about his father's property, you do have to swear. When is it true that that's only when they're talking about their own thing. So if let's say a cotton gave you something to watch and then you're denying it, you don't have to respond to his claim and make a shvua, But when a minor makes a claim against you about his father's property, then you do have to respond. And this is what Rabbi Lazar Yaakov was referring to. There are, times, there are times when you have to swear based upon your own claim. What is the case of your own claim? Where it was a minor making a claim against you. So it's considered like it's your own claim because it was only a minor. And therefore you responded and said, I owed your father half, but the other half I pay back. So there, Rabbi Lazarman Yaakov is saying that you still have to make the Shavuah, and the Gemara has retracted, and Ainish is it's only when it's about their own thing, but when it's about their father's thing, you do have to make a Shavuah. We can also tolerate the Lashon, it's Shaddam Nish And the reason we can tolerate it is because it was a minor making the claim now that we've got that taken care of. And again, that's all kind of taking place outside the Gemara. Now the Gemara analyzes what's the shot in the Machlux in ben Yaakov and the Chachamim. the Chachamim say when you admit to the, to the claim of the, of the son, this minor son, you don't have to swear. You're like a Meshav Avedah. ben Yaakov is saying you do have to swear. You do have to respond. And with the with the following up of the shvurah. So, what is the pshat in the machlokas? Allah <speaking in Hebrew> of the rabba and and the Rabbah are disagreeing about something that Rabbah said. The amar Raba. gives us the depth of the din of mother makes as a tiny yisshava. Amar rabbi. Why did the Torah say that when you admit half, you have to swear? And the question is, why don't we always say that you're like a Meshav HaVeda? In other words, what is this line? Somebody makes a claim against you. If you admit to half, you have to swear on the half that you deny. What's the shot? Why don't we say that since you deny everything, it's clear, it's like nicker from your admission that you're telling the truth. It should be clear from your admission you're telling the truth and you shouldn't have to swear. Some I'm use the Nusach. It should be clear you have a Migu. You could have denied the whole thing. Other Rishonim just say it's like a Meshuv veda, meaning every time it should be clear that it's an act of goodwill when you're admitting half, and therefore that should exonerate you from making a shvuah on the other half that you're denying. Why does the Torah ever say that someone who admits to half has to swear on the other half? The answer is, Chazakah, there is an, an, always an assumption, A person is not brazen enough to deny his obligation directly to his creditor. So in other words, when somebody says, uh, you owe me money, it takes a very brazen liar to say, no, 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 I don't owe you the money. He wants either a creditor did him a favor by lending him the money and he knows that the money hasn't been paid back. It's so brazen to say that that I don't owe you the money. So therefore, we can assume, since sociologically, we understand it's very tough to deny owing all of it, hypercule by deliberate. Really, maybe the debtor, this debtor here wanted to deny all of it. We're nervous that really he would deny every single penny. By the only reason he didn't deny it entirely, was because he wasn't brazen enough to do it. In other words, he really was, would, 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 would we argue that it's not Pshad, he's really a Meshav Aveda because why did you admit to half? Why didn't you lie about the whole thing? The answer is the reason you didn't deny, lie about the whole thing is because it's really tough to do that. It's a tough thing to lie to the face of the creditor and say, I don't owe you all your money when I'm looking at him in the face and he knows that I do. It's a very tough thing to do. So he's not a Meshav Aveda when he admits to half. He's not a Meshav Aveda at all. It was just too tough to, 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 to lie so brazenly. That's why the Torah says that he has to swear. Another, the question was that when, in fact, you admit part, we should see that it's like Meshi Veda, We should see that it's like a nice thing because why do you admit it all? Why don't you just deny it? The Gemara's answering, it's very tough to deny things brazenly because the person knows you're lying. Ah, so now if we're saying that we're concerned that he's really would lie, just he, he doesn't want to lie completely. It's, he finds that too brazen, so therefore he's only talking about half. So let's think this through. What is the Torah saying? Oh, now you should go swear. How do we understand that? What's the point of swearing? If, if the reason what's going on is that we think that you're lying, Really, you really, you own all of it just you don 't want to deny all of it because that 's too brazen, and that 's why you admit it to half so then what 's what's going to be accomplished by swearing? so we say in other words, if someone is a liar maybe they 'll swear falsely as well that 's where you 're trying to explain what the issue now is once we say that we think you might be a liar, just you don 't want to deny all of it because that 's too brazen then you 're not willing to do that act of brazen lying so then whats what 's it going to help to say to make a shua? So rabbi continues, Really, he's not such a bad guy. We're not talking about such a bad liar. He really would admit that he owes the whole thing. This that he doesn't admit the whole thing. He He's just trying to evade his creditor. The suffer he thinks to himself until I get more money and I'll pay him off. Meaning he's just delaying it. Eventually he's going to pay. But the point is, he doesn't. He, he doesn't want to have this guy on his back. So he says, "I admit it to half and I'll pay." And, and the other, it's only the other half that I. Owe. But really, we think that it's not true. That this guy really didn't pay back anything. the Torah is saying, Rami put the oath on him. So let him admit right away. So basically, we're saying that the oath is not directed at a real thief. A real thief would lie as well in the oath, so it doesn't mean anything. The point of the oath is for like a type of debtor who will—he would like to admit, but he's just seeking time. He's just buying himself more time with his partial denial. So basically, that's the—that's the point over here. Is that the Torah is not making a system that's going to solve the brazen liar. That's not what's going on here. That brazen liar would also, would also make a false shavuah. It's Because speaking to a debtor who like, really would like to admit, just he's trying to get him off his back, so now the Torah is saying, make a shvua, And when the shvua is there, when the oath is there, the person will end up admitting it. So to summarize what Rabba's point was, Rabba's point is, how do we understand why don't we see since you admit, as opposed to denying all of it, you're a good guy, so you shouldn't have to make a shvua? The answer is, you're not such a good guy, because really we think you might lie about all of it. The only reason you're not lying about all of it is because it's tough. It's, too, it's very hard to brazenly lie about all of it. Okay. I, if we think you're a liar, so what's going to accomplish to make a shvuah? The answer is we don't think you're an outright thief. We think you're someone who really would admit it, just you're trying to buy yourself time. And that's the purpose of the shvuah. So now we see that the whole reason why you have to make a shvuah, the whole reason you're not Meshav aveda, what was it all based upon? It's all based upon the premise that it's too tough to admit, to, to, it's too tough to brazenly lie and say that, that you don't know anything. So Yaakov, Safa, aloshino, boba, aloshino, no. it doesn't make a difference whether you're talking to the creditor himself or to the son. It doesn't matter. Even if you're not talking to the person who lent you the money, you're talking to his son, it's still very hard. It's, not, it's very hard to be brazen enough and deny the whole thing. So even when it's his son who's presenting the claim, the debtor is not treated like someone who, who is returning lost property. He's not treated like someone who's doing a good, uh, just someone who's doing a good deed. He's not treated like that because we're again we're concerned that, that that really he'd be willing to lie about the whole thing. But it's too hard. It's too it's too difficult to be brazen enough. That's why the the, the premise of making of making the shvuah is still here, even though you're talking to the son. He's not a meishav Veda. In the same way I wouldn't be brazen to lie to the father. I wouldn't be brazen to lie to the son. That's what's holding me back from denying all of it. And that's why the premise of making the shvuah is still here the No, it's only to the creditor himself who lend you the money that the debtor is not brazen enough. You would be brazen enough to deny the whole thing to the creditor's son, even if he's an adult, for that matter. the Since you didn't deny the whole thing, you admitted part of it. So therefore, you're treated like someone who's returning lost property, and therefore, you're exempt from the shvua. So what's coming out is that there's machlokas in the understanding, like psychologically, when you're talking to the son of the creditor. Is it hard to to brazenly lie and deny all of it, or is that still considered a very brazen thing? The rabbanan say, it's not hard at all. The brazen, it's not so, it doesn't require such an act of brazenness to lie, to lie about it. So from the fact that he didn't, and rather he admitted to half, so he's treated like a person who's returning lost property, and therefore he's exempted from the oath. So the Rabbinians say whenever you're talking to the son, you never have to make a taina. You never have, you never have to make a shvua. Whereas Rabbin says no, even when you're speaking to the son, and even for the, even Lamaisa, Lamaskana, Sakamara, even if you're talking to a minor son, you, you still have that aspect that it's difficult to be mayes, he holds out the Azer was there to the son as well. It's difficult to be Mayas. Therefore, you're not a meishav Veda when you admit to half. And therefore, according to Rablazer ben Yaakov, you do in fact, you do in fact have to uh, have to make a shulah. So now, now we understand the machlokas Rablazer ben Yaakov and the Rabbanon very well. The machlokas is again where you're speaking to the son, you are speaking to the son of. Uh, a creditor and he makes a claim against you and you respond that I admit half do, do you have to make a Shavuah when Yaakov says you're not a Meishav you have to make a Shavuah and Rabbanim says you are a Meishav because it's not hard to deny the whole thing when it's not face to face to the creditor and therefore you don't have to make the Shavuah because it's clear you're a Meishav so now, let's once we understand all of this, let's try to go back and what was going on. We were talking about Pasha Peshawar Peshawar, the case of pasha Peshawar, Peshawar, Rabbi Yeshua said. What was the case? Shimon was on a piece of land. He goes over to Ruven and he says, I admit this piece of land used to belong to your father, but I bought it off of him. So we say, you didn't have to admit it belonged to the father since you admitted that. Ha therefore, you're believed to say that you bought it off of him. Says the Gemara, why did we speak about that case? Why don't we speak about a case where you go over, Shimon goes over to Ruven and he says... I admit that i borrowed money from your father but um but i paid back half and we should say and that therefore should uh should exonerate you that therefore should exonerate you and and you from making a Shavuah. that was the question so the gemara says like this if you go like the Rabbanan, then, then it's, they hold it's meishav Veda Whenever you're speaking to a son, even if the son would make a claim, so even without the whole idea of pesha asar hua pesha even if you, even even without that that point, even if the son himself would make a claim against you, you would still be pata for mishvua. So therefore, we can't bring out the case of pesha asar Pesha pesha because even without it, even if the son made the claim, you'd be you would be pater But what about according to Rablaz ben Yaakov? So the Gemara is saying according to ben Yaakov, you're takah to make a shvua. If you're mechuliyev to make a shvua, then it doesn't work. But let's think this through. After the whole analysis comes out, when is that? What is the case, Rablaz ben Yaakov? saying you have to make the shvua only where the son made a claim. We're saying even if it's a minor son, so it's as if, you know, you're responding to your own claim. But Lamai says only when the son made a claim. So if that's what we're coming out, it's only when the son made the claim. So now, but what would be if the son didn't make a claim? And I, on my own free will, go over to the son and I say, I admit, I owed your father money, but I paid back half and the other half not. Do I have to make a shvua? The answer is no. Why not? So, why doesn't the kamar say that we're going like Rav Lazar and Yaakov? And there would be a if the son didn't make the claim, but Rather, I went over and admitted to the son I owe the father money, but I deny. But but, but I admit I paid back. I admit I owe half, but I deny. But I still say I paid back half. Then I should be father from Shvua because it should be pasha Asar. who apasha The terez is the reason the gemara is not doing that is because Rabbi Elazar would agree that your pots are there because of Meshav aveda. The only reason Rabbi Elazar didn't hold of Meshav aveda is because the son was making a claim. But la Kama, you're going over. So then, even without. Even without the pesha asar pesha hiter concept, out the concept of meishav Veda you'd be putor. There are two different ideas. Meishav Veda is that there's a specific tour by modemimiksa satani yishava that whenever it's clear that you're coming from a good place, then you don't have to swear. So that's true even without the concept of in the New Testament the two credibility of pesha asar The only reason Rabbi didn't hold the meishav is because the son made a claim, and Rabbi hold that it's tough to lie to the face of the son as well. But in a case where you came yourself, even without the case of the the, the, the point of pesha asar pesha you wouldn't have to make a shul. Could be a Veda. That's. The Mars is very good. You don't have to make a Shvuah Hazemesh of veda, and we would have nothing to do with the principle of Pesha Peshaheter. And that's why the only way to bring up Pesha Peshaheter was the case of the land. I said, I'm, The land that I'm on used to belong to your father, and I bought it off you. But when you're talking about money that I owe the father, and I admit I paid back that I owe half, but the other half I, I say I paid back, you don't have to come out to Pesha Peshaheter to explain why you don't have to make a Shvuah okay now the commissioner continues to other examples of so if you have a loan document just understand the way a star works a star works is that you need to be mckayim the star we need to know that it wasn't forged how do we know that it's not forged how do we know that the the, the, the witnesses uh, the testimony that the signatures are real so you're mckayim it either the witnesses testify that they admit that they signed it or we can verify their signatures by looking at other things so on and so forth. So we need kim stars. Without a kim star, you can't use a loan document to, to collect money. So Ruven lends Shimon money with a loan document. But unless Reuven can prove that the signatures are real, then if, if Shimon says, you know, I paid back, Reuven cannot collect. So we have to have uh, testimony to know that the signatures are authentic. So imagine that the witnesses come to testify that their signatures are Aydim Sharma. Witnesses come to certify a document. And they say, you're right, Saavedini, who's that? This is our handwriting. We admit this is our handwriting. And therefore, you would think it's a kiyam ashtar. But they add that the, our signatures were done under duress. We were forced to sign. So therefore, it's a false thing. Basically, they're saying that the creditor took us and he forced us to sign the document even though there was no loan. or They say we signed, but we were minors at the time. We or we were unfit for testimony at the time. And all of these cases are elun and They are believed, meaning, meaning to say that, that we don't look at the document as being makuyam. And Ruven, the creditor, cannot collect with it. Why? Because Pasha's opeshaheter. The only way we know that there it is their signatures is from the mouth of the witnesses. So the very mouth that said that it is their handwriting also says that the loan document is forged, right? Because they're saying that they weren't kosher or wasn't valid or they were forced. So therefore, Pasha Peshaheter, the document is not considered valid, and Ruven cannot collect money based of it, based upon it. However, the let's Let's say there were other witnesses who verified that it's their handwriting. So then there's no Pasha Asar. Oh, Shaykh or Their handwriting was verified from another source. We were able to tell it was the handwriting by comparing it to another signature they made. So you don't need their. Admission that it's their signatures, we know it's their signatures, even without them, so then there's no Pesha. so' and they 're not going to be believed Stom coming stom coming out of the blue and saying that the the, the testimony and our and the star that we made is no good because we were minors and we were forced, so they wouldn't be believed. You see, we see you already testified clearly in the document that it's good, so now you 're not going to be believed to say. That, uh, you know, actually, the, our signatures are not good signatures. The only reason you believe this is if there's a Pasha asar. That's only true if we only know it's your signature from your mouth. But if we know it's your signature without your mouth, then you're not believed to say, that, you, that, that your testimony is not good. So now the Gemara clarifies, this <laughs> that of the Seifa, that if the signatures were authenticated without the witnesses, and there's no Pasha asar, then the witnesses are not believed to say that they that the loan document is no good, this that that's true. That's only if they if they said when they said they were forced, they said we were forced because of a threat to our money. Meaning they're admitting that they were corrupt. They said that because of to gain some money, they were bribed into signing a false document. So since they're saying they were bad people, they're incriminating themselves. So that's why they're not believed. Right, self incriminating incriminating testimony is not believed in the court. Why? Because you're considered related to yourself and you're not believed to say something bad about yourself. This is always the idea. You're not believed upon yourself to say something bad. So we don't believe them that you signed under duress. Or you're saying you signed under duress because you were trying to be bribed and make some money. We don't believe you. That's the pshah why we don't believe you. So the only reason when you don't have a Pasha asar, the reason why you're not believed is because when you're saying you're under duress was Mahmas moment. So you're saying that you did a maishah Rasha, that you were a bad guy. And that's the shot why they say for you're not believed. Let's say they said that we were coer- coerced because of a threat to our lives. The guy put a gun to our head and said, "If you don't sign this false document, there was really no loan. But if you don't sign, I am going to kill you." So then, they are believed to say that they that 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 they signed that way, even though we don't. There is no pasha asar, even without the pasha asar. Even if the there were other witnesses that have a source that is their handwriting, but they're just unbelieved believed to say that they come back to the court now and say that their that their signatures were done under duress. So the whole Allah, when you need pasha asar. That's all we're saying when it, when it was So there, we wouldn't believe them. If, they, if, we, if it was authenticated without them, we wouldn't believe them. But if, if we didn't know was their signatures, only from them, then we'll believe them, uh, the Pasha Asar, even though they're saying they, that they were corrupt. But if it's a situation where they're not saying they're corrupt, so even if there's no Pasha Asar, even if the witness's uh, handwriting was already, was already proven to be their handwriting, if they come in and they say, we only signed it under because we were scared for our lives, so then they are believed today, and therefore we can't use the Shtar. Says the Gemara, Amalei Ravah, Kokimine, is there a power to a witness to testify he was coerced? Meaning to say, once we see the star as a good star, you already testified. You put your John, the John Hancock down. You put your signature down. You are testifying in that moment when you testify. you are testifying through a loan. Now you're coming back at a later point and saying, by the way, there was no loan. So first you testified when you signed that there was a loan. And now you're telling us, no, there was really no loan and I was lying. Can you believe, believe, believe? There's a principle. Once a witness testifies something, you complete testimony. If you come back to the court the next day and testify again, you can't retract. Very basic principle. Once it says, No, you only have one opportunity to say your testimony. Once you said it, you said it. You cannot retract it. You can't say, Oh, by the way, what I said wasn't true. So the same thing here. Once you signed on the document, you signed to the effect that there was a loan. So you're not believed to come into the court the next day and say that there wasn't a loan. So therefore the Gemara is asking, How could we say, that, that if they come in, even without the Pasha Asar, if they say, they are believed, how could that be? Once you testify, you can't retract. So the Gemara says, maybe you'll say that rule that once you testify, you can't retract. That's only true to testimony that said orally, and regular testimony. It's like something of, you know, regular testimony. You say orally there, that rule applies. When, come, when we're talking about testimony recorded in a document, maybe that rule doesn't apply. Maybe well, even once you sign, and there's two types of testimony, you could sign like right, by by writing your signature on a star, maybe there the rule doesn't apply. So if I first testify through signing my my name in a star, then maybe I could retract that testimony later. Says the Gemara, that's not true. What is how does it work by signing your by signing your name on a document when you sign a document? It's as if your testimony has been examined in the court and accepted. Meaning the idea is that just as witnesses testifying in court can't retract so do witnesses who sign a document cannot retract we view that that's the whole idea it's as if there's real there's a real there's a real aid that's taking place when you sign when you sign in a star that's the power of a star it's a fascinating concept how it works but that is the work normally it's a very and we have shown him talk about it, it's such a hard concept we'll be discussing stars. normally we say that putting um testimony in writing is no good you have to come to the basin and tell them but there's still somehow a power of a star where i sign my name and it says that Ruven Oshuman relent money, whatever it is, then that's considered like a testified commission nach do some evasion. It's as if it's been examined in the court and it believed. So it's as if there was I testified to the court. So now I shouldn't be allowed to retract my position. So therefore, the Gemara revises what Rami bar Chama said. Itmar. When was Rami bar Chama talking about? Right? was going on the Rasha? In the Rasha, you had the Asar. The witnesses themselves were the only source that the signatures were good. So we said in the Rasha that since there's a Peshawasar, they are believed. Since I only know that it's their signatures from their mouth, so I have to believe them as well when they say they were forced. That's only true if the way that they said that they were forced was a threat to their lives. So they're not saying self-incriminating things. They're just saying, that Lamaisa, uh, there was no loan, and we, the whole thing was done with a gun to our head. there, there's a pasha that we could take on, that there, that there, that that we cannot take and believe that it's their signatures without believing as well that there was no loan document. They were just forced. If they said this is our signatures, but we did it out of we were bribed to do it, so they're saying in a self incriminating thing that they did it for the benefit of gain of money. They lied and put their signatures on a false star. They're not going to be believed. And then we're going to say that actually the shtar is Makuyam, and we're not going to go with the pasha Asar. Why? My A person can establish himself to be a criminal. So we're saying a tremendous here. We're saying since you can't establish yourself to be a criminal, so even with pasha Asar, you can't be believed. What is the story that you're saying? The story that you're saying is I put my signatures down. I admit this is my signature, but I did it just to, to gain some money. I was bribed to, to lie. So we cannot believe that story that you that you that you lie to gain some money because a person cannot establish himself to be a criminal. He ain't on the Mason Asma Rasha. Therefore, even though he this guy is coming along with a Pasha asar, we simply cannot believe the Pashahetir. Normally how does Pasha Assar Pashaater work? We could theoretically believe the Pashahetir just normally we wouldn't have believed you it's not it's not it's not sufficient, but there's nothing bad about believing it. So we say, since it's only based upon you that it was Pesha Asar, we can believe the Pesha Heter as well. So like if the example, if they would be saying, so we say that we have to believe it because since we only know that it's their signature from their mouth, so it was Pesha Asar, so we have to believe that there was no loan document as well. It was just, they just signed under the rest of their life. But if they're saying something that cannot be believed, that they cannot be believed that they establish themselves as criminals. So even though there's a Pesha Asar, there cannot be any credibility that they signed to, to gain money. So if there cannot be any credibility to that, So even if there is a pesha asar, we cannot believe the pesha hitir, and because we cannot believe the pesha hitir, then we're going to say actually that the shtar is Makuyam, We believe their admission. We believe their admission, that it is their signature, but we cannot believe that this, the person to establish himself as a criminal. So we're, at the end of the day, we're going back on the Reisha, where when there is a Pasha Asar, but the Pasha, is, the Pasha Asar who a Pasha Heter can only work if they are saying, machos nefashos, So therefore it's something that's believable, but it's, machos moment, which is not something believable, so even with Pasha Asar it wouldn't work, and therefore the Shah would be Mekoyim. In the Seifa, where there's no Pasha Asar, who, Pasha Hiter, so we're coming out that there, even if they would say, uh, they wouldn't be believed because once they testified, then they cannot retract their testimony. Now, an interesting point that's coming out, though, is still in the ratio. Where they, they, why don't you have that same problem that, that, that once they've testified, they can't retract their testimony? Like, how do we understand that? Lamaisa, even with Pasha Asar, how does that make sense? Aren't they still retracting their testimony? Even if they say, Anusimani, Machos, of in the ratio, where you have the Pasha Asar, but isn't there still a problem of retracting testimony? It's a very hard point in the Sukhya that even though even though they testified already, but when there's a Pesha Asar. In the Reisha, we say that a Pesha Asar a Pesha and when it's a new of the of the and then they can retract. But isn't it still retracting testimony? How ultimately do we say that? So evidently the idea is, Rachi Rashi basically explains this, is that, uh, is, that, is that when you're moving the kiam, the star? so until the star was makuim, we don't see a full established testimony from what was written in the star. So since there's a pasha asar, a Pesha hitter, you're first establishing the kiam star is now. And in the same breath, you say that there was no loan, so then we don't see it as retracting your testimony. We only see the testimony coming alive once there was a kiam star, And in the same breath, you're saying that there was, that, 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 that you're retracting and saying that there was no loan. It was just you signed because he was a threat to your life. Therefore, you'd be believed. Now we elaborate that actually there's a Machlokis Tanam. Tanarabonim was taught in the Bryce, and he knows the difference there. Witnesses who authenticate their signatures, are not believed to invalidate. According to Rameir, does not agree with the Mishnah. He, he disagrees that even if you yourself were the one who said that it was good, you cannot say you were forced. So the Gemara analyzed. that's the Mishnah. Why don't we say saying that even though we only know it's their signatures from their mouth, still they're not believed to say they were coerced. So the Gemara explains, to say that they were, I don't know, Shawm who we were given, and therefore they're possible aidum. We understand why they're not believed because of course what kind of Malva would go get possible Aidan? Malva the The Malva clearly would investigate to make sure he kosher witnesses. So it's not believable to say that, oh, we were we were we were possible. It's just like an unlikely thing. If it's an unlikely thing, then even with Pesha Asar, we won't take that on. Katanamayna where they were minors. We also want to say Witnesses wouldn't sign on something unless they were gedolim. In other words, basically the assumption is that the lender would never rely on an invalid witness. So again, to believe them to say that is that that they were that they were children is just a highly unlikely thing. And therefore, even with Pasha asar, it can't be believed. Ella nusamaitamah, but mara What about the case where they were coerced? Why not? Why can't they be believed? That's a believable story that someone put a gun to their head, and that's why they signed. Why isn't that believable? So if there's a Pasha Asar, we should take it on. If witnesses were told to sign falsely and you won't be killed, but if you refuse to sign, you'll be killed. They should actually allow themselves to be killed and not sign falsely. So therefore, they're incriminating themselves. They're saying that they're doing the wrong thing. Actually, the halacha is that you're supposed to give up your life. So since the halacha is that you're supposed to give up your life, so then a person is not believed to say that he did it different. Now the him say, come on, the Gamar really thinks that there's not luck, you have to give up your life, it's not one of the three cardinal sins. What we're trying to explain is that most people would give up their life. Most people, it's an interesting thing, would rather die than to uh, testify falsely. So we're, so basically, when you're saying that you're not one of those people, even if you're technically not Makhoyev, but it's considered self-incriminating. It's saying, like, I don't have good values. Says the Gemara, is that true? Amalei Rabbah it's not good values to sign under the rest of your life. If they would come to the Rabbi and ask, "What should I do?" I'm under duress. If I don't sign by tomorrow, he's going to kill me. I'm the what would the Rabbi say? Go sign and don't be killed. That's the halacha. The only thing that stands in the way of life are the three carnal sins. If not for that, you should go sign. So the right thing to do is to sign. If somebody would sign, we would tell them, "Why do you sign?" It's bad values. It's not bad values. It's not self-incriminating. It's a very likely story. It's not considered. An unlikely story. So what's the shot that Rabbi Meir is saying that we don't believe him to say Hayinu Machmas Why don't you have a Peshaasar? Says the Gemara, because the Ravuna The reason like Meir is like Ravuna in the name of Rab, which we'll analyze more tomorrow. But Ravuna said, Dam Marav Let's say I have an unauthorized loan document, meaning we don't know that the signatures aren't forged. But then what happened was is that the debtor admits. The debtor admits he's mo de star Shikoso. he admits that the star is real. But he also claims that he paid it back the money. So you admit yourself that you bought that the, the star is real. The signatures weren't forged, but you also make a claim that the that you paid back the money. Normally if you know that there's a star, whenever there's a star you're not believed to say that you paid back. But here the only way we know a star is from his own admission that the star is a good star. So is it believed to say that he paid it back or not, So Rafuna says In you don't have to have it certified, meaning we're not, once once the, the debtor admits that the, the, the signatures are not forged, he's not going to be believed to say paraiti. That's the point. He's not going to be believed to say that, uh, that I paid it back. Once the star is a good star, then there's no namanas no to say I paid it back. It's an interesting thing. We'll analyze this more tomorrow. Like why doesn't he have a peshasa, right? I didn't have to admit. The debtor didn't have to admit that the signatures were good. So, since he admitted it's good, why don't we believe he paid it back? Well, there's different explanations. But the is, the idea is that really we think the star is good without anything. It's just a mo- the whole key of star is the Rabona and that maybe, oh, the signatures were forged. So, if the guy himself admits that they're not, he's not an eminent to say pariety. We see the stars being strong. You're not an eminent to say you paid it back. So, either way, we're dealing with such a case. So, even Ramayor is dealing with such a case that the borrower admitted that the note was authentic, but he claimed that he repaid the debt. So, now that the witnesses are coming in and testifying that they signed the note, but they did it under duress, we don't need the witnesses. To authenticate it, it's as if it was already certified because of the borrower's admission. So, you don't have a Pesha Asar. That's the point. If you really had a Pesha Asar, we had no clue if the signatures were forged or not. Then, of course, Ram would agree that if the witnesses authenticated their signatures, but they added that they were forced, they would have a Pesha Asar and they would be Neman. Again, it's a credible story that they were forced and therefore they'd be Neman. We're talking about a case specifically where the, the debtor. The debtor already admitted to the fact that the signatures weren't forged. So therefore, according to Ravuna Marav, once he admitted that, then he's never going to be nemmun to say that he paid back the claim. So therefore, we don't need the authentication of the signatures by the witnesses. They're not necessary. So there's no Pasha Asar. Since there's no Pasha Asar, that's why Ramayor is not believing them. The Rabbonin disagree. The Rabbonin old, the rabbonan old, that if the, if, just because the debtor admitted the signatures were good, but he could still claim that he paid it back because since he admitted the signatures were good, he'd be never to say he paid back. back. So, so now you, the, the, we, do need, we do need the testimony of the witnesses to authenticate it to offset the taina of pariety. Therefore, there is a Pasha according to the Abana, and since there is a Pasha Asra, they would be believed to say that they signed under duress.